We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of Florida. I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. We're back. All right, welcome in to another BuzzBeat podcast, another Twitter spaces. Uh, if you're joining us live there currently, the Hornets a couple minutes ago wrapped up um, a big road win, kind of a gross game, but I believe that is their sixth win in seven games now. And to take down uh, another Eastern Conference team in the Boston Celtics, that's kind of in that that same sort of uh, seedings glut uh, is is a, is a nice feather in the cap for Charlotte with the Hornets win one eleven to one o two, holding off a, a, a late comeback by the Celtics thanks to some hot shooting from Terry Rozier, Brian Geisinger here, and I'll be joined uh, by Lee Branscombe, Richie producing this one, Spencer. Uh, getting the night off. Lee, what did you think as people are starting to come into the, the space here? Uh, Lee, what did you think? Instant reaction to the uh, the Hornets with a big road win over uh, the Celtics with, uh, I should note, uh, just a brutal offensive performance from Jason Tatum uh, in this game, far shooting the basketball goes. Yes. Um, strange game, but yeah. like, massive I mean massive win like just from the from a standing standpoint I mean it's you know probably beating a little bit of a dead horse but like at this point for the Charlotte Hornets like every game particularly against other kind of um comparable Eastern Conference foes is 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 just a massive win the uh, I think Mike Green uh pointed it out throughout the game but like only five games separate first in the east to tenth in the east so we're all just we're jumbled up in there, and any any victory is a big victory for the Hornets, but particularly a victory against the Boston Celtics on the road, in in a in kind of a weird game. I mean, like you said, Boston's offense was just anemic and and disgusting to watch. Um, but Charlotte didn't necessarily do itself any favors, particularly in the first half. Some ugly shooting five turnovers from Lamelo in the first quarter, which I'm sure we'll kind of get into to hit his, his game and his box score as well. 
And then I'm sure we'll get into the nuance of kind of Hornets figuring out that zone a little bit late in the fourth quarter, Brian. But um, instant knee-jerk reaction is just like overcoming some strange adversity and foul troubles throughout the game and, um, you know, kind of putting the Celtics in a phone booth tonight, even though they did it to themselves as much as we did it to them. Yeah, I thought this game had some weird ebbs and flows to it. It started out early on. Uh, with Boston and man-to-man and Charlotte, a lot of spread, pick, and roll. I thought they did a pretty nice job kind of getting a piece of the paint. LaMelo getting downhill early, uh, kicking out to Gordon Hayward, who had a you know kind of a quiet game for Hayward. He only played like 20, 21 minutes in this game, just two of four shooting. Yeah, foul trouble. Um, and, and I think they sort of benefited to an extent from – uh, you know, having the the length and athleticism of Jalen McDaniels and, and Cody Martin and Kelly Oubre, who had missed the last four or five games, he returned and you know hit some big shots, hit some two huge threes uh, in the fourth quarter for Charlotte. Took a one questionable shot early in the second half that had me doing the no 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 no. Oh come on, Kelly! Uh, but for the most part, he, he was uh, I, I thought welcomed. You know, addition to the uh, the lineup, and also with Ubre in the fourth in the first quarter, there's a couple of, like interesting like trick or treat moments with him defensively, as far as like helping at the nail goes. Like there was one time Tatum was isoed versus Cody Martin, and I thought Cody actually had him like you know d- was kind of keeping him at bay. Kelly slid over, helped out with the early help. Tatum kicks to the corner, extra pass. Um, it was a Josh Richardson three, but then on the last play of the of the first quarter, Kelly comes over, helps out on Tatum, and picks up a, a steal. Uh, so yeah, again, there's the 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 dual the duality of, of Kelly Oubre kind of just flying around defensively, and then I thought Charlotte never really. Um, got into their transition, their run game, all that much. Thought they had some some success going after Dennis Schroeder, who like this is kind of like I mean Boston is flawed. This roster is like flawed in a lot of different ways. And to be clear, like they're missing some really good players. Like you know, Marcus Smart just got out of COVID protocols, but I think he's doing some like he's in like a reconditioning phase. I think is how the Celtics uh, phrased it. So he has not returned. No Rob Williams. Um, who, congratulations who, who we to always we who we always struggle with, Brian. Rob yeah, Williams. I mean, he, I mean, he's the he's he's the kind of the kind of he's one of the types of centers that's going to give the Hornets issues. Like, yeah, you have the the Embiid, the the Embiid, you know, Jokic, just uh, you know, incredible talent types, and then you have the the lob threat, you know, the the really quick like leapers, and in in that's you know Williams can do more than that. He can pass like he's a, he's a really uh, g- good young center. Um, kind of is in the mold of the player type that Charlotte like very kind of badly needs at the center position. And then Boston goes to zone um, in the mm-hmm. fourth quarter, and you know really kind of gave gave the Hornets like a taste of their own medicine, right? Like yep. all these yep. plays you want to run, all the pick and roll you want to do. Guess what? You're going to have to get rid of some of that and rework some of that. And then after Boston kind of downshifts, goes back to man-to-man, just some huge buckets down the stretch from Miles Bridges. Like at both right around the six, the seven to six-minute mark of the fourth quarter, isolated versus Jalen Brown, who's obviously a phenomenal player, did not have a great shooting night. But, um, but Bridges gets downhill, tough, like right-handed, like extension runner, goes glass, beautiful touch um, on that. And then on the, on the next possession, same thing 
ISO for Shalen Brown. He gets downhill, gets left, gets to the rim. And then like 90 seconds after that, he gets matched up with Al Horford, who Bridges saw a lot of Horford in this game. Didn't settle, uh, you know, for a, for a pull-up shot or for a step back or whatever. Got downhill, isolation two on that. And then about another minute after that, he got the transition run out dunk. Um, after, you know, probably a, a blown call uh, by the referee as far as the, the ball going off. Was it Bridges? Was it Miles's foot that they missed the call on that, I think? Yeah. Williams. yeah. But either way, those were huge. Bridges, the shot making from Bridges, the downhill driving from Bridges, and then, of course, the shot making from Rozier and Oubre was huge in this game. Again, not like a not a full complement of players for the Celtics without Rob Williams, without Marcus Smart, and um, and and Tatum and Brown struggling. But um, you know, I thought Charlotte with Gordon Hayward in foul trouble, not getting the usual sort of like PJ Washington, you know, offensive uh, output either. You know, they go out there and they get a pretty nice win on the road. Who cares about the some of the other details with what the other team didn't have? So I thought all in all, I thought this was a nice win for Charlotte. After a cold start shooting uh, from deep early in this game, the Hornets finish up 16 of 39 uh, from deep, which is huge, and, and Rozier really carried the way with uh, 6 of 11 shooting. But, yeah, well, Lee, why don't we go ahead and get into Melo? I'll, I'll read off some of the stats here. I don't know if you have some some thoughts on just kind of a. I think this is one of these games that our our partner Spencer Percy would describe as the full Lamelo experience. Um, <laughs> I believe is I believe that's how Spencer would probably describe this. But yeah. Lamelo in Lee, you texted the group thread with a minute or so left in this game. But the stat line for Lamelo: thirty-two minutes plus three, five of fifteen shooting, but three of six on threes, <laughs> ten rebounds, ten assists and eight turnovers. So, yeah, thoughts on LaMelo, and, and feel free to go with it in any direction. How did you think about the uh, the young point guard's performance tonight? Yeah, well, it was a, it was a weird LaMelo game because in the first, I'd say, five minutes of the game, it was, like, pretty clear that Boston didn't have a whole lot from him uh, in, in terms of, like, resisting him in the pick and roll and, like, resisting mm-hmm. him getting downhill towards the rim. Like, obviously, with no Rob Williams in there, you're, you're, you're pretty much playing with either Horford or Canner at center, and, or, or you're playing small. So, like, Lamelo getting downhill, getting to the rim, having some nice finishes early, I was kind of thinking, oh, man, like, this is going to be one of those awesome kind of, like, aggressive offensive scoring games from Melo early. And, and you even heard it from JB in one of the timeouts. That's the cool thing about these, like, national TV games. You get a little bit of mic'd up at yeah, from yeah. JB, and he's like, Mello, I need the rim. I need the rim. Like, downhill. Get downhill, which I thought was fantastic. But but then, you know, LaMelo kind of does what he does at times and, and got a little cold. Also, he had five turn Five of his, was it eight? He finished with five of his eight turnovers were in the first quarter. Um, so he was not a, not a fantastic care, caretaker of the ball, kind of in that mid to late first quarter. But then just a couple other points uh, for LaMelo. You mentioned the, the 10 rebounds. Four of those were offensive. And yeah. something yeah. about the way LaMelo – I mean, look, this, this is the same, like, cerebral genius that you see in his passing – 
and also in his uh, like defensive anticipation, getting in the passing lane. He also does this thing, BG, where he just like knows exactly where his misses are going. Sometimes I think two of his, two or three of his offensive rebounds were off his own misses, and a yeah. couple of those he kicked, he kicked out for threes. I guess the point I'm trying to make here is like even on a night where you know Lamelo had his struggles evidenced by the box score shooting numbers and his turnovers, he still puts together just like an impressive box score, nearly a triple-double. And also the last thing I was going to say, BG, was, you know, he hit that massive three-pointer with two minutes left, pushes the lead, pushes the lead from six to nine. Then on the very next possession, he dices up the Celtics' defense and and finds Rozier – for a three that pushes the lead from nine to 12. And then Schroeder throws in two garbage threes, and then Rozier has to make the ridiculous step back to kind of put the game away. But, yeah, I mean, you know I can get in kind of a cold sweat talking about LaMelo. Sorry <laughs> for the rant there, but that's, uh, that's where we're at. <laughs> we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as J.J. does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. No, that's what I wanted to hear. And then before, I've got a couple things to add on LaMelo, but before that, if we have, if if any of of y'all would like to speak up, uh, just let us know. We're taking requests for speakers. So, yeah, if you got something to say, uh, yeah, go ahead and, and, and let us know, and we'll try to get you in here. But as far as LaMelo goes, yeah, he had, there, were, there was there was a stretch in the third quarter about halfway through. It was back-to-back possessions. He got two offensive rebounds, 
One of them, I think he dribbled out, dribble handoff with Rozier. Schroeder was slow to switch. Rozier bombed a three off a of DHO. Next possession, another yep. offensive rebound for Lamelo. Kicked it out. Rozier, you know, relocation three. Those guys are just they're they're synced up, man. Like he just he he knows to look for Terry. Um, that's a security blanket for him. That really is like him throwing to his, you know, like his like quarterback throwing to his favorite, you know, slot receiver on third down. Like he just, he's yep. looking for Terry, um, you know, floating around the arc. Um, and, and yeah, like they're, they're good together offensively. They, they certainly have their limitations on defense, but offensively those guys can, can really go and, and do a nice, pretty nice job playing off one another. Even if they're, again, there are all, maybe even some, there can be rim pressure concerns, I guess to an extent with them, but Bridges is just getting so, so damn good going downhill. Like all of it, it's the, it's the, the explosive first step. It's the strength. It's how he transitions that crossover dribble or the first step. And he gets that shoulder, his, the shoulder, the inside shoulder underneath that of the defender as he's going in just super impressive. And we've talked about this a couple of times. I've gone back and forth with this, with, um, uh, with uh, Polar or Skyfall on Twitter, which uh, the man is a basketball genius and a, and a legend on Twitter. And um, yep. you know, I, 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 we've talked about Bridges finishing before. I really do think his numbers finishing at the rim this season, which are like, okay, not great, really undersell just how creative and how ambitious of a finisher is. Certainly you want it to be higher, but the degree of difficulty – and uh, sort of like what is asked of him as a finisher in the offense, I think can can like depress those numbers a little bit and sort of like undersell just how skilled he really is. I do think the um, and and the both the both hands too. Yeah, the both hands can jump off either foot, can finish from weird angles. The the reverse he had uh, on Monday in New York was absolutely sick. Just like him being able to start out on one side of the rim and just absolutely float to the other side. He just he's got everything in, in, in like the, the finishing package around the rim um, in a way that is possibly unique to him. Like I like it, it, I, I think I think Zion does some similar stuff, but but Bridges is really is kind of unique, especially when you when you put it together with the um, you know with his he's streaky, but with like the step back shooting abilities, some other thoughts I had about uh, LaMelo, I think you, maybe you touched on it, but the two big threes he hit, one of them came after a timeout. I think Boston was in zone. JB called up probably play that I'm guessing. He said, man, I'll have to check the film on this, but like, I'm guessing it was something he said zone or man bleep it. We're running this play, which is something they run all the time for Rozier. They usually do it against man-to-man drop coverage, but it's a veer pin-down look where they fake the they, – they look like they're going to run up uh, Plumlee or P.J. run up like they're going to set a ball screen for LaMelo. And then they'll dive out in the direction of Rozier, and he'll run in the direction of the, the center, come off a pin-down, look for a shot. Melo hits Rozier. Boston rotates, kicks it back to LaMelo. LaMelo hits a massive three down the stretch. But just love the – I don't know, love the, the execution – in the sense that it also required some adaptation on the fly, you know, which is, which is, which is kind of cool. And I, I think something that maybe you're looking in, and for me as, as the Hornets are in this last thought I have on the mellow, as the Hornets are in this, this win now approach and they're, and they're gunning for the playoffs. 
and I, I understand that and they're, they're going about it in a way that for the most part seems, you know, like they're, they're not like mortgaging anything, right. You know what I mean? To, to really right. push for that. But I think it's important to also remember that like, you know, I mean, LaMelo, he turned 25 months ago. Like this is all still a learning <laughs> process. This team is still one of the five or six youngest teams in the NBA. Bridges is young. PJ's young. Jalen McDaniels, 23 years old, like all super young. And so for a game like this, sort of, uh, you know, the arena was quiet up until the last three minutes, and then it got really loud. You're on the road, kind of a gross game. I think it's just a learning, like it's to an extent, like it's a learning experience. These are like good reps to get And you know, every day in the NBA, you know, you're just trying to spin the wheel a little bit when you're a young team that's sort of like marinating, right? You're just trying to spin yep. the wheel a little bit. And some days you grab the wheel and you, and you, you whip, you whip the hell out of it. It spins a lot. And other days, <laughs> You know, you go up to it, you can only you can only spin it or pull it a little bit. And this still this kind of felt somewhere in between those two, but I, I do think it's like valuable for Charlotte and uh and yeah, just a, a nice win. And I thought there were a few guys that had good moments. Is there anyone else you'd like to to touch on as far as individual performances go for the Hornets or any sort of other like broad thoughts on the team? I, I thought maybe we could hit on McDaniels um for a second. Uh, you, you, you already, I think you covered Oubre well already. Like it was just, it was just so good to have him back in the lineup. He just gives them so much more versatility and, and scoring juice off the bench. So we don't have to belabor that. Um, McDaniels, who, who did most, almost all of his damage in the first half, you know, 12 points for him, 10 in the first half, two for two from three. Um, McDaniels had had kind of an up and down, I would say last two to three weeks. Um, so it was really good to see him yeah. step in, particularly on a night where P.J. Washington didn't really have it going. Another guy who's been a little cold, I'd say, over the last two to three weeks. Still, P.J. still had some nice defensive plays, a couple like yeah. in, in traffic rebounds that were important. Um, but McDaniels on a night, like I said, where P.J. couldn't really find much, Bridges couldn't really find much from deep, McDaniels kind of got them through a like three to four minute stretch there in the first half where Boston was kind of trying to nurse like a three to seven point lead. And McDaniels was really important in keeping it close and even like retaking the lead at one point in that first half. Um, what, one other point for him, he had a play in the first half where he got the and one on the left side off the dribble drive. He missed the free throw, but it was like this start and stop dribble drive hesitation move that I hadn't really seen from him. Just mm-hmm. a super tight handle, really nice, like, breaks on and then accelerate past the defender and hit kind of like a leaning bank shot and one. So, like, you know, it's a small thing, but, like, just anytime you're picking up kind of these, like, you know, these new tight, like, executed dribble isolation moves from a guy like McDaniels is always – is always encouraging. Um, and then the only other thing, uh, the only other thing I was going to say, and I would be kind of curious on your thoughts here, BG. Like, we, we know the defense has been has been trending in a positive direction over the last, I'd say, three weeks to a month. You know, the Hornets are now, I believe, twenty fifth or twenty sixth in defensive efficiency, which sounds bad, but when you're coming from dead last, like that's actually like kind of a noticeable improvement. They've yeah, been like a yeah. top. 10 to 12 defense over the last three weeks. Tonight, 
you know, they give up 102, but they hold the Celtics to 43% shooting, 30% from the field. Um, look, a lot of this was just a historically bad night from Jason Tatum. But, uh, you know, I'm just kind of wondering where you're at, what your headspace is for, like, the defense that has been improving. Um, but, but also tonight, like, to, to be fair, the Celtics did just miss a ton of open shots. Yeah, agreed. It's somewhere, it's somewhere, like, I think you even tweeted something at halftime or after the first quarter that, that kind of tied up my thoughts, um, which were similar of just, like, some nice individual uh, plays and stretches mm-hmm. for the defense, mm-hmm. but Boston was also missing some some good looks. And I do think you saw in the fourth quarter when Boston made a, started like kind of like punching back a little bit after they they dug a pretty big hole um, was they started getting rim pressure or getting in the paint and then kicking out. And I thought the corner started opening up. Horford got a three. Grant Williams got a three. Um, and I mean, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't enough and like Charlotte's going to give up some of that stuff. But, um, I thought because you brought up McDaniels, I do want to mention he had a couple plays defensively in this game that were awesome too. The chase down block he had in the first half was so sick. Um, and that's something that he, he does. Like he is a, he is a help side rim protector. He is a transition rim protector with his length, with his anticipation, his instincts, um, and his aggression, his willingness to try to block everything. Like one of the things I, 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 I really love about this Charlotte team is just like, they don't, they don't back down like the all, and maybe it's youth, but like, I think part of it is culture and, and guys they, they drafted and like, all these guys are going to try to block everything and dunk everything. Like, like you, like it, I mean, I don't know. Over the course of a long season, maybe they have some nights where this is but to be expected. Where like that, that sort of aggression and that that fight um, is missing. And I think maybe you'd sort of like to see it manifest itself more in terms of like team defense, right, and assignment defense. But as far as like impact stuff, like when things get like are going to get like kinetic at the rim, like the Hornets have like no issues, you know, getting after it. I, I think Bridges sets a huge tone with that. Like so much of this team is in LaMelo's identity, but I, but I do think that's something that, that Bridges really is the one who like sets the agenda when it comes to like, they're going to try to block everything. They're going to fight for every rebound. Um, I thought they won. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to like go up and check the like, hustle stats on ESPN.com for, for this after the game, but I just thought they were good getting the 50-50 balls tonight, um, getting long rebounds, getting on the offensive glass. We touched on LaMelo earlier. And even before McDaniels had that chase down block, he had a really nice, like, the Charlotte, I think, was in man-to-man at the time. Someone rolled, and uh, and, and McDaniels slid over – slid over from the the weak side. I think he was like low man, weak side corner. It was it didn't block the shot, I don't think, but like got there, contested, was vertical at the rim. Um and that's something he does very well defensively. Like he does give you some of that that backline weak side rim protection. I also love that even when Cantor got a, an and one bucket on him, McDaniels is like unf- I mean he went after him. Like they were they were sort of like chirping at one another after the play and I I don't know. I, I, I kind of like Charlotte having a, a little bit of an edge. Yeah, PJ had a couple big blocks in this game too, well, which was certainly nice to see. But we do have a speaker request. This is uh, Evan, uh, who's going to be joining us here. Evan, what's up, man? Any, what are your thoughts on the uh, the game tonight? What's up, guys? Great job breaking down as usual. I'm really loving these player spaces with you guys. I missed uh, I missed the last one after the Knicks game. Was actually I was actually at that game. 
to Philly the week before. Nice. Yeah, I tried to get there tonight too, but my wife, uh, you know, she wasn't wasn't on board. But man, <laughs> I, I really I love this team. This team is the most fun that I've had. It's a Hornets team in a long time, and I don't know if you're listening, Kelly O, Kelly O, Kelly Oubre, but I, I need to apologize for you. I I was very I was not I was not happy with Kelly after after we signed him. I was okay, whatever. After the first week of the season, I was I was not liking what I was seeing, but. Man, which is good. Like you said, he, it's just so great to have that spark coming off the bench. Um, he, he just, the versatility that he gives us on offense. You know, some, when he hit that three at the end, when it comes out of his hand, I you know, like, what, what are you doing? And then it goes in, and you're like, wow, Kelly. I, I don't even have, sometimes I don't have words <laughs> for, for, what, for what he does. And then, I mean, and Miles, I, I think, Ricky, you, you pointed out, you had a clip the other day before the game during that Nick game where, where they put a bigger guy on him, they put Julius Randle on him, they put Al Horford on him, and you just isolate him at the top, and he goes downhill, and he can finish so well with either hand. He's just a load right now. Can't even imagine what he's going to get in the offseason and how happy, you know, that how well that worked out for him. If I wanted to lose him, I, I think I'm going to have to call Mitch Kupchak myself and, and <laughs> give him my earful. But uh, like I said, this is just a fun, fun situation to be with right now. No, I was just gonna say no. That I mean, totally agree. A couple, a couple kind of, I guess, responses there. Um, n- number one, like Ubre. I mean, we already hit on it a little bit. We don't have to like completely belabor it, but it's just worth noting that like he's having a career year from an efficiency standpoint, from basically everywhere on the floor. You know, if you go look at Kelly Ubre's basketball reference page, like. Three point percentage, two point percentage, field goal percentage. He he is he is having a career year. I mean, this is this is something that happened with Terry Rozier when he came to Charlotte too. I mean, he he was a solid shooter. He, he was a he was a decently efficient offensive player in Boston. Um, but Terry has taken things to another level in Charlotte. He's become like we've talked about on this podcast, like one of the elite kind of movement and catch and shoot three pointers in the on the planet. Frankly. Um, and, and Ubre right now is, is, is doing something similar from a career efficiency standpoint. Um, Ubre, you know, who only spent one year in college, I think people forget, like he is kind of more on this age timeline with this young core than you might think just because he's been in the league for a while. So, so yeah, I, it was fantastic to have Ubre Brat. And what, and the other thing I wanted to respond to, which was a great point by Evan that we kind of hinted at. That isolation stuff with Bridges at the top of the key, I mean, on a night where Bridges didn't have the three ball going, I think he was one for seven, uh, one for six tonight from three. I still thought he settled like once or twice for jump shots against Horford when he could have just put the ball on the ground and abused him like he did on three or four other possessions. But he did this the other night against, against the Knicks too, whether it was, it, most of the time he was abusing Randall, but there were even a couple possessions where he did it to Barrett too. And so, like, when you get, you know, when you get these slower-footed wings and, and, and posts that are kind of on an island against Bridges at the top of the key, and you saw the Hornets go back to it multiple times tonight, um, it's just a, it's a really nice late-game, like, tool and wrinkle for them to add to yeah. – you know, the, the actions that you talk about for to spring Terry open, Brian, and then also for, like, the, the, the mismatch hunting they'll do with LaMelo La and Hayward. And this was, this was something we talked about a lot in the preseason. It was like, okay, 
No Devontae Graham, who's been a big-time kind of clutch player for the Hornets uh, for the last two seasons. No Malik Monk, who had his moments with playmaking and clutch play. Like, how are the Hornets going to figure out, you know, how to, how to manufacture effective offense late in games with this, you know, kind of new conglomeration uh, and, and, and a different roster construction? And I think, like, you're starting to see those pieces come together, which is really important. Um, so, yeah, great, great. Uh, thanks for coming up, Evan. Great point. Yeah. Always good to see you, man. Yeah. What, what I would add on to, as far as Bridges goes, you, Doris Burke talked, talked about this, I think, with it when Al Horford was defending him on the broadcast. Maybe it was Grant Williams where um, they were – they pressed up on him a little bit and Bridges drove around. And, and Doris Burke made some comment about – Hey, this, he's having a tough night shooting. You know, why don't you sack off of him a little bit and try to, you know, try to try to jam up those lanes? Which is a great point. I think though, the way teams are guarding him speaks to, you know, it's like when, when Grant Williams is out there, he's not thinking, oh, this guy's a thirty-three percent shooter. Well, maybe Grant Grant's actually pretty like analytically minded, so maybe he is. But like I, the point I'm trying to make, I want to make is actually, I think it speaks to how the importance of the willingness of someone to shoot those shots. We talk about this usually around draft season when we're evaluating prospects. And we'll talk about, like, you know, like, oh, it was great to see, like, last season at Texas Tech, Taryn Shannon is more inclined to shoot threes. And that that matters. Like, it just – it does. This is one of those cases where, like, volume just tends to matter. Volume and type of shots tend to matter. Maybe a little bit more than the percentages do in a certain way in terms of like how teams are going to maybe not even scout you, but defend you when the ball is actually rolled out and the action starts flying around. So I think that's something to matter. Another thing on bridges, what is so cool. And I remember saying this on a, a draft pod in 2017 when bridges was like, had his name in and then ended up coming back to Michigan state. The guy plays both sides of the pick and roll. He did it in college. He's doing it at another level now, certainly as a ball handler. But his, like, short roll passing and playmaking is so good. He has at least two possessions every game. Like, tonight he had a short roll catch, spin, right-handed hook finish in the lane. Recently he's had a couple beautiful kick-out passes on short rolls. Just, like, he, the fact that he can play both sides of that action. Hayward can do this, too. Um, is really awesome, but that you can run inverted pick and roll with him as the ball handler and Terry running a ghost screen. And then the next possession, you can run spread pick and roll with LaMelo and Miles as the screener. And Bridges can, he can slip, he can roll hard. He's their best best lob catcher by a mile, although Plumlee had two nice lob finishes tonight off LaMelo pick and roll finds. But he's their best lob finisher, and he can pop. And once he pops, he can shoot, he can attack, he can pass. It's just like the entire chessboard is open up to him. You know what I mean? As soon as he either creates the advantage or helps create the advantage with a screen and then is building off of it when he's attacking downhill. Two quick thoughts on Ubre, and then we can, we can, um, we can wrap up here. But just one, what is cool? I think the the Rozier comparison you brought up, uh, as far as like how this is a this is a, was a you know a notable offseason acquisition and and how it's it's worked out pretty well. You know, it's they they don't have like an identical offensive profile, but a lot of the stuff that JB uses for Rozier, they run a fair amount of it for Kelly. Like there's different stuff they do for different guys, but some of the movement shooting stuff that Ubre gets into. It's, I mean, it's just it's right from the the same cloth that that Rozier's had success with. Um, I've said I've brought this up once or twice before, but I do think that it's important that 
you know, I know Ubre was more of like a mid tier signing. You're just using your cap space. You know what I mean? Before you lose it. And this is the most, one of the guys to get, I think it's important to be able to show this to, to, to future free agents and to say, if you want to come into the, the fun house here with LaMelo and James Rago and Miles Bridges, look what you can do. Because I'm guessing Kelly Ray, like, I mean, he signed, like, they signed him for what, 11, isn't it, 11 or 12 million a year? I don't know how Kelly Oubre fashions himself. I'm guessing he thinks he probably deserves a little bit more money. So they can say, hey, you want to come in here and, and, and inflate your value or, or get it to where you think it should be? It, come come here. Come play for us. And, and I think that can be a draw for a guy that's filling out a roster and is going to be a bench scorer like Oubre. But it could potentially be the selling point even for um, for the, the second or third star down the line if, if Charlotte ever finds itself in a place – with cap space, which, you know, we'll see about that going forward. But, um, and what I will be curious to see with Ubre is mostly, most importantly, like how he finishes this season out because he's been just bombing threes this year. I think he's at, I think he's over 13 three-point attempts per 100 possessions, just bombing it, bombing threes at a rate that he's never had Let before. Let him fly. And he's, and he's hitting them too, which is great. They just, they just turned him loose as a catch-and-shoot monster for this team. It's awesome. Um, and I will be curious to see because that defense, that, that contract is non-guaranteed or only, like, very lightly guaranteed for next season. I'll be curious to see, you know, if, if Oubre has moved at any point in time, just essentially, like, what the – not that I, we like to think about these things in these kinds of terms where you're talking about guys as a contract or whatever, but, like, you use the cap space to sign this guy. Okay, well, then – when 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 this when this relationship reaches its logical endpoint, what do you turn that into? Can you can you turn it into younger a couple younger players or draft picks or something like that? Like that's going to be kind of an interesting challenge, perhaps at some point in the next year for the uh, for Mitch Kupchak in the front office. So just something to keep an eye on here. Um, well, we're going to go and wrap up here, but we do want to thank uh, a bunch of listeners that have been in here for a while: Evan, Josh, Kevin McChrystal. Austin, Joan, Koji, thank you all very much for rolling with us tonight. It makes these things a lot more fun. We've got people active listening and wanting to chat. And again, if you didn't get in this time and would like to in the future, like be, come on with it. You, we can talk Hornets, and if you want it, or if you want to know, you know what I'm having for breakfast tomorrow. You want Richie to rank his favorite cereals. We we will talk. We can talk <laughs> non basketball stuff too. Like, but I mean, we would. We, we were hoping for Hornets questions, but if, you, if you've got random uh, inquiries, like you know, we're an open book here. So uh, hit us up, and of course, please make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. All of that stuff helps us out a ton. This podcast should be in your feeds. I'm guessing tomorrow, which will be Thursday, January 20th. But after that, uh, we've already got something lined up for next week. Richie uh, has a great guest booked. He's going to be doing an interview with Asif Shamadi, the Hornets uh, veteran at this point now, sideline reporter and ace broadcaster who is really you know, a key part of the team and, uh, and one of the most fun and exciting broadcast trios in the NBA, along with Eric Collins and in uh, Del Curry, for sure. But Richie also gave me a sneak preview of uh, some stuff that will be in that podcast, and I'm like, I think it's going to be really fun. I think it's going to be a really fun listen. That should be in your feeds next Monday. I don't know the date. But I just know it'll be next Monday. Sometime in January, you can listen to that. 
Uh, this is this has been Brian, joined by Lee, Richie on the ones and twos. Shout out to Spencer. Talk to you soon. And everyone who joined us in tonight, uh, thank you for being here. And yeah, catch us next time on BuzzBeat. Go Hornets. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.